Great to see you once again in our study. We've called it Fearless, study through the book of Joshua, learning how to be faithful even when we're fearful so we can live a life that is fruitful, Joshua chapter 7. And I just want to share uh, some other exciting news, guys. I'm really glad you're here. I want to thank you again, as Tim did, all the volunteers. I came this morning early, guys. You cannot imagine the army of people that were here already volunteering, getting the lot clean, getting the sidewalks done. Be sure you say thank you to all the parking personnel out there. They're all volunteering. They're freezing for a reason. So give it up for them, would you, right now, and then say thank you to them, honestly, as you leave today. So thankful for all of you that give so much, even on a day like this, to make it all happen, being living proof of a loving God to watching world. One of the ways we're gonna be living proof of a loving God to watching world in the next two years are fearless initiatives. One of them was to buy a couple of houses in partnership with a not-for-profit called Agape Pomoja. And this is a house we've just purchased. We're calling it a blessing house because uh, we're gonna be ministering the gospel in this house to African refugees coming to our city. Now, you know the purpose of the church. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. And one of the most exciting things happening in this age in which we live is the nations are not coming to us. And so there's a growing African community right here in our own city. Many of them are religious refugees, and they've come to Kansas City from all over Africa, and we are now ministering the gospel to them. If you want to know more about that ministry, there's a booth right out here on your way out before you leave. You can stop and talk to one of them about what we're going to be doing in the days ahead that goes well beyond just buying a house, really serving them, really ministering them, building relationships with them. Really exciting opportunity. Before we get rolling in Joshua chapter 7, I want you to hear from Jeff Kyle who leads our counseling center. Jeff, come on up here. Give it up for Jeff. Would you do that? Because I'm so thankful for Jeff and the ministry he leads in our counseling center. And so as, uh, as we begin to wind down this series we've called Fearless, and it's a character study through Joshua, I want the folks to kind of hear from a biblical counseling perspective a little bit about fear. As we get rolling today, Jeff, our counseling center ministered over 7,000 meetings a year ago, 40% within our church ministering to our body, 60% are outside of our church, uh, a real bridge and a real ministry to our city. So I'm so thankful for the ministry that you lead. And so uh, let's just talk through fear a little bit, because fear is something that we all deal with, every one of us. And so um, I want you to see kind of um, beneath the surface, church. That's what we're calling today, getting beneath the surface. Uh, and so help us get beneath the surface today, Jeff. Tell us what is good about fear? For all we've talked about fear being bad, what's good? Well, thank you for having me. First of all, fear keeps us alive. And it's what keeps me from walking out into traffic. If I'm the roof of my, on the roof of my house working, it's what keeps me from just walking off of it. I used this illustration in the last service. If I was to come at Phil with a knife, but he said that didn't invoke any fear in him, so I'm going to switch it now. If it was to come after me with a knife, it is fear that runs through a part of my brain that makes me breathe faster, makes my heart beat quicker, and also sends blood to my muscles that I would fight him, which probably wouldn't be wise. Actually, fear will send more blood to my legs so I can what? Run away. So physiological, that happens. I'm just saying, I'd, I'd just go SWAT cop. I mean, if it was the other way around... And uh, I might should fear, but, but <laughs> go good. with the illustration anyway, okay. Um, right. 
God, what is he? Movie is the word from where we get fear in Latin. You hear move in there means when you think about uh, the fear of emotion, God gives us emotions to put us in motion. Okay. So all of a sudden, why does God give me fear? And you think, what's he trying to do in my life? And that's a question I have to ask myself. So here's where I can go and where most of us tend to go. We can go to anxiousness, anxiety, helpless feeling. We don't like it. We don't control it. Another place I can go where a lot of us go is control. And that could be I'm trying to control. Usually what am I trying to control? My circumstances. If I can control the outcome, the thing I fear will never come to pass. But how does it look practically? I try to control other people. I'll try to control my spouse. I'll try to control my boss. I'll try to control my adult children. And when I no longer am successful at controlling them, I will try to control other people to try and do what? Control them. Where's God wanting to take me? Uh, fear always is God telling me I'm limited. I have limited capacity. I'm not really in control. And he's trying to take me to a place of dependence on him. So the illustration, uh, soldiers last week walking around Jericho. No doubt, these are young men. They had never been to battle before. Two nominal battles in the wilderness. This is their first real battle. What is God trying to teach them? not to try to be in control, not to have anxiety, not to not go forward, not have faith. God's trying to teach them to depend upon him, to take them to that place. And also, in and of itself, fear is trying to teach me to accept some things that I cannot change and I don't have control over. That's good, Jeff. So I've made statements kind of throughout this series, guys, how you don't want to follow your feelings. Your feelings will mislead you. You want to follow God. And so when you're feeling what is wrong, you begin thinking what is right. I love what Jeff says. So Jeff, um, Jeff really draws a dichotomy between emotions and feelings. And so when you have a negative emotion, be it fear, sorrow, whatever it is, you need to lean into that. Look beneath the surface. But explain the difference between your emotions and feelings. Would you, Jeff? Yes. And this comes up all the time. Um, have you ever been to a counselor or saw a counselor on television? Uh, hey, tell me about your feelings. What are you feeling? Hey, your feelings don't lie to you, things like that. And that's true somewhat, but not entirely. So I will say this. There is a difference between emotions and feelings. Now, we use them interchangeably. Counselors do it all the time, not intending to do that to mislead you, but um, they're not exactly the same thing. So sticking with an emotion. An emotion is in the lower part of your brain. So something happens to stimulate me, and this is gonna take you back to maybe a psychology 101 class or a biology class, but I have the sensory cortex up here in my brain where new information comes in. And eventually neurotransmitters are gonna to go to my thalamus, and they're gonna run down there to something called my amygdala, and then to a hypothalamus or a hippocampus, depending on where you're going to go. You say, what's happening there? Those are just straight emotions that I'm feeling. So if I were to ask you what you're feeling, what I'm really asking you as a counselor to begin with would be, what emotion are you experiencing? Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I happy? Am I disgusted? Am I surprised? Uh, Pixar had a movie out years ago, Inside Out. It's a cartoon, great movie, I highly recommend it. Talks about what's going on in your mind. Those are emotions, and here's what I would say. They don't lie. If I'm feeling sad, my body's telling me I'm sad. If I'm fearful, my body's telling me I'm fearful. What God's wanting me to do is lean into that, process that, think about that, maybe answer a question. Maybe God's directing me back to dependence, things like that. Well, what's a feeling? A feeling goes through the higher functioning of our brain. It has emotions attached. 
but it's not the same thing. So I'll give you illustrations. If I were to, I, I'll give you this, I was doing this last week, I was meeting with somebody about something they were struggling with in their life that we would consider high shame, okay? If I were to ask them what they feel, they could say, I feel rejected, I feel sad, I feel lonely. But all of a sudden they could say this, I feel like God doesn't love me. That's not just an emotion anymore. That's got a thought with it, a judgment uh, that's been learned by me, uh, perhaps through a church, perhaps through a religious organization, perhaps through something I saw on TV, perhaps through a friend. Uh, I'll give you another one that's very common. Um, somebody struggling in their marriage. I feel sad in my marriage. I feel lonely in my marriage. Don't ignore that. You need to press into that. If you don't, nothing could change. Maybe God's trying to teach you something. Maybe try, God's trying to restore something. But then all of a sudden you say this, but I feel like going off and having an affair with somebody else. That's not just an emotion anymore. That is a thought. That is a belief. That is an imagination. And quite honestly, we have something called a flesh. In Greek, it's sarx. Paul talks about it in the Bible, a predisposition not to obey God. That could be a lie. And how does this work in real life? I'm counseling a guy the other day. He gave me permission to share this. We wouldn't share something confidentially that with everyone here if we didn't have permission. And he said this. Um, he's been coming for quite a while talking to me, struggling with addiction and struggling with anger and struggling with not being connected to his children and people in his life. And he came into my office just last week and I knew I was gonna speak here, so I got his permission, but he said, um, you know what, I, um, I wept last week and really had to grieve the loss of some things in my childhood. I'm like, okay, tell me about that. He said, I saw my son get out of bed after we'd put him to sleep, and um, I was angry. I thought, why am I angry? And he started working back, and we've had some conversations, and we went back to his elementary years, his childhood, and he realized he was fearful, fear, to get out of bed after he was put to bed by his parents. For whatever the dysfunction of that family, you know, he's not a crier, but he had lamented this, realized that wasn't right. And as a father now, he just made the comment to me, why wouldn't they have just nurtured me and put me back to bed? True, that's sad. What's happening, he's experiencing anger now in his life. He's turning to addiction. He's experiencing um, anxiety over things like that. But it goes back to fear. You say, well, that's kind of silly. That happened maybe 20 years in his case ago. But that part of your brain that I just talked about, that amygdala especially, that is a lower functioning part of your brain, your limbic system. It doesn't pay attention to time. Most of you are familiar with PTSD when they talk about that. Why would somebody be triggered by something now and have the same emotions they experienced when they were in trauma or war? It's because that part of your brain doesn't know that. And that's a perfect example of you think, why am I acting out in these ways? And you start going underneath the surface and you look back and you find fear in your life. And that's what God's trying to teach you to actually turn to him for dependence, but also lament some things. And this is important too. You say, well, that happened 20 years ago. He still had to grieve that loss. Well, is that something God wants us to do? Yeah, you know, sometimes it's not just memorizing a verse and going on. David, man after God's own heart, said, uh, no man careth for my soul. Job, who lost his children, said, uh, God, you made me. Don't you know what you're doing to me? And by the way, I, I wish I'd never been born. Our Savior on the cross, looking at death, prayed a Hebrew prayer of lamentation, Psalm 22, and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Sometimes the emotion, even fear, God's using to direct us back to grieving things that we need to grieve that we haven't, and actually depending on God. Do you guys feel smarter just hanging out with Jeff? Free frontal cortex, limbic system. You haven't heard those terms for a while, have you? But it's interesting because, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in Romans 12 and verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of the mind, right? And so what he's saying makes sense. When you're feeling what is wrong, don't just ignore that. Don't suppress your emotion. Look underneath that. Get beneath the surface. Don't just deal with the symptom. There's a source that God wants you to peel back. And, and here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, guys. I say this often. I use this often in verse 4. It says, casting down arguments. When your feelings are arguing against God, in this case, I don't feel God loves me, right? When you're feeling what is wrong, you renew your mind by thinking what is right. And what Paul is teaching there is that right thinking will eventually lead to right feeling. And that's the, the hard work of the battle we are in, is the battle of the mind, faith versus fear. And so uh, one last thing, Jeff. Um, what if your worst fear happens? I mean, we wrote, you know, the wall of fear. A lot of us wrote up there our worst fears. I said, you know, one of my worst fears, I might lose one of my children. I've always held that fear. Uh, and what I've also noted in my life, and it's probably true in your life, 90% of what I've worried about has never happened. So it's wasted energy. But what about the 10% of the time where it does happen? Our worst fears come true. So as you mentioned, we did um, 7,000 counseling sessions last year. And uh, we spend a lot of time with people where the worst fear did come true. So you mentioned you've been really transparent and vulnerable with uh, Abundant Life about a fear of losing your child. So the book of Job, probably the earliest book written in your Bible, that did happen to Job. And by Job chapter 3, Job actually says, what I feared has come about. And so um, I have this that I use in counseling, and it uh, comes from a story in the Bible. It's called, um, But If Not, what's the story? Stories about uh, three Hebrew children who are taken captive, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their Jewish names. You would know them probably by their Babylonian names if you grew up in church, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken into captivity. Uh, the question is, will they still obey God in the Torah in exile? And one of the commands is, you will not bow down to other idols, gods, idolatry. And so the king is Nebuchadnezzar, he erects a statue, and he says, when you hear music, you'll bow down. And if you don't, it's punishable by death. And they would be burned alive in a furnace. Horrific. And these are not fairy tales, there's people just like us, and I'm sure that they had fear and anticipation of that possibly happening. So what they say is, we have faith, what you're talking about, God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us from you, Nebuchadnezzar, but then they say this, but if not, but if not, we still won't bow. So sometimes the things we talk about do come to pass. Most of the time they don't, but sometimes they do. And you're sharing last week, very powerful, that God would restore my marriage. But what if my spouse has left, they've been gone a long time and they're not gonna come back? Well, I have faith and I want them to come back, you can pray that, but if not? What if you have the sick child and it doesn't have the happy ending story? But if not, those things happen. I'm holding in my hand a brace. If you ever saw Forrest Gump, it kinda looks like that. This is what I wore when I was in kindergarten. I was diagnosed with a hip disease. My mom and dad took me to the hospital, stayed in the hospital, then I came out, the prognosis was this, if I was to walk, I'd go through this therapy. Imagine a parent, fearful that their child might not be able to walk, that was my parents' fear of me. I was in this brace all the way through kindergarten, most of it, first grade, then I was on crutches. I'm not telling you the story to tell about myself, I don't have a lot of memories about that, I have some, but not a lot. 
But it's mainly my dad. I asked him later in life when I was in my 20s. I said, Dad, what was that like for you, fearing that I might not walk? And he told me this. He said, this is what I prayed. And my dad's a man of God, always been a man of prayer. He said this, God healed Jeffrey, but if you don't, I'll carry him. Meaning, but if not. A lot of you are in this room, and your story isn't the story where in this life you got the happy ending. And in a counseling center, we spend a lot of time with people. So just like Job, who lost so much, and his children, and we sit with people who have lost so much, worse than this, obviously, I got better and I walked up here. Some of you sit in here with unbelievable pain, and you don't know answers, and your fear did come true. All I can tell you is at the end of the book of Job, Job has a transcendent experience with God. God comes and he allows Job to experience him personally. And when Job experiences God personally, he has a different perspective. Counselors, nor a counseling center, nor pastors have the why reason things happen to you in this life and the losses that you have experienced. But the hope is this, it is in God that one day you will have a transcendent experience with God. And at that time, you will have a different perspective. And the hope you hold on to in this life is one day I'll have that experience with God. And then I will have the perspective I don't get in this life now. It's good, Jeff. Fantastic, man. Thank you. Appreciate Jeff so much and the counseling ministry. So Jeff so did have a happy ending. He did walk up here today. Um, but he did say God did not make him a varsity athlete, he was on the B team. But nonetheless, it was still a miracle, Jeff. And we're thankful, not only that you can walk, but for the ministry God has given all of us. So, what is it beneath the surface of your life? I'm convinced this is how the enemy works in our life, subtly, and he wants us to peel back the layers today, the living God, so that we as the children of God can begin walking increasingly faithfully instead of fearfully. So it was in 2014 that I learned a lesson about what lurks beneath the surface and how what's beneath the surface is often the biggest threat that we cannot see. So I'd gone to Tanzania on a mission trip, a global serve team trip with my son and several dads from our church and several sons that were graduating from high school, first time in Tanzania, actually first time on the continent of Africa, phenomenal trip, great opportunity, had a phenomenal time in ministry there. And it was on the last day I got to do something I'd never done before. So I'm from the Midwest, kind of a land lover. I'd never really snorkeled in the ocean before. I mean, not really, right? And so we were going snorkeling this day off the coast of Tanzania and there was this coral reef there, and we all show up, and we're excited, and I put down my $10 to rent the stuff. You know, you got to have the snorkel, got to have the mask, got to have the fins, and so we saw paddle out there, and we swim out to the coral reef about 100 yards offshore, and I was having a great time, but the problem is the fins that I had rented were just a little too big for me. So every time I'd start to really paddle, one of my fins would fall off, and this like kept happening, right? And so finally it fell off and, you know, I did what I did, you know, a dozen times before. I stop and I put my foot down to brace myself to put it back on. As I put my foot down, I realized something is wrong because pain shot through my foot from the bottom of my foot to the top of my head. It's like getting struck by lightning. I mean, instantly pain. I mean, searing through my leg. I did not realize it then until I got to shore later, but I had stepped on a sea urchin. Now, I don't know if you know what a sea urchin is. 
But a sea urchin is a thing of beauty. I mean, if you see one under the ocean, it's a thing of beauty. It really, really is. But I'm telling you, don't believe it because a sea urchin is straight out of the pit of hell. I mean, it is the most demon-possessed little thing in the ocean, I'm convinced. Because what I have here are like hundreds of barbs. They're now in my feet. And those barbs have poison on them. And you know that I had to walk the next day as we went back through the airport here and there. And I could barely walk, literally. I couldn't put any weight on my foot whatsoever. I'm telling you the story today because it's what's beneath the surface that is often the biggest threat to our life. And as we open the Bible to Joshua chapter 7, I want you to see what God wants to teach you and me. The biggest threat to our life is usually what is hidden beneath the surface. And so as Jeff said, as you experience negative emotion, you don't ignore them. It should cause you to lean into them. Peel back the layer and find out what is the source. Don't just deal with the symptom because usually there's something beneath the surface that God wants to show you. In this case, it's what's beneath the surface in Joshua 7 that would cause the Israelites to flee from their enemies. They've gone from Joshua 6 at the Battle of Jericho, and they've had the thrill of victory. They've seen God move miraculously, and now they're going to be living fearfully instead of fearlessly. We're talking one chapter later at the debacle of Ai. Joshua 7, beginning of verse 1. You ready for this? Say fearless. Here we go, it says this. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Now understand what's happened from Joshua 6 to Joshua 7. They have experienced the thrill of victory at Jericho. You remember last week, the walls came down without the hand of men. It was a miracle by the hand of God, and they are living victoriously, and they've seen God move miraculously, and I don't know, maybe you've been in a locker room after a big game and a big win, and you weren't supposed to win, but you did win, and just the celebration and the elation, and one can only imagine what it must have been like back in history to have been part of Joshua's army, to see God move unexplainably and miraculously miraculously, and they are riding high on this thrill of victory. And now in Joshua chapter 7, they are fleeing from their enemies. What happened? I mean, Ai was just a little town. Jericho was a fortified city, one of the most formidable cities in the conquest of Canaan. And now all of a sudden, they go against this little town with just a few hundred people, just this little bitty army, and just a dozen men send Joshua's 3,000 to flight. What has happened that they've gone from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat already? Listen carefully. They didn't take seriously the enemy. They fell into complacency and apathy. Oh, Joshua, it's just a little town. Don't send the whole army. And you see, you are never more vulnerable to defeat by the enemy than after a great victory you've experienced personally. 
And all of a sudden, you drop your guard a little bit. That's what Joshua's done here. That's what's happened. Now look at what it says. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. I mean, here they are, and they're living victoriously, and yeah, me and Jesus, we can do anything. I mean, we're gonna take on the world, and all of a sudden, they're running for fear of their enemies. I want you to see what happened. Not only did they fall into spiritual complacency, and guys, I'm telling you, you have never walked with Jesus for so long that you cannot take a plunge. I mean, you can face plant at any moment. You drop your guard. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, go was about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's saying, don't drop your guard. You better be vigilant and stay on guard. But I want you to see something else. The real reason for this great defeat in front of this smaller army, an enemy they should have defeated easily, was because of something that was hid beneath the surface. Achan, one of those Hebrew warriors that was experiencing the thrill of victory at Jericho, he took the spoils of war. Now, God had told them, don't take the spoils of Jericho. I'm going to let you keep the spoils of future battles, but do not touch the spoils of this battle. You're not to touch anything, and do not touch any of those spoils. And I want you to see what happens. Achan, because he didn't have the fear of God, didn't take God seriously, he didn't live obediently, and now he's about to experience his worst defeat personally. So Joshua does a little intel after this battle, and I've got to hurry because I wanted you to hear from Jeff, and so I don't get to really take apart this text like I like to, but understand what happens. If you read this whole text, you should go home and read it today. Joshua does a little intel gathering, finds out it was Achan that took what he wasn't supposed to in spite of what God told him to. And look at what he says. Israel went from living fearlessly to living fearfully because they failed to obey God faithfully. See, Achan, because he didn't obey God faithfully, he's now fleeing in the face of his enemies. And you see, ultimately, this is what happens in our lives when we choose to make a decision apart from God. When you choose to make a decision independent of God and you choose sin over him, that's an act of rebellion, and all of a sudden you're not living faithfully, and I will promise you, when you stop living faithfully, you will start to live fearfully. And that's what happens now in this time of history. And that's a lesson now for you and me. If you want to live fearlessly, you've got to choose to live faithfully. You see, only when you're living holy can you really live boldly. And God wants us to be bold for him, not fearful, but rather faithful. But you see, Achan chose instead of being faithful to take what God said he couldn't. And so consequently, it led to the entire army running as though they were fearful. He comes to Achan, Joshua looks at him, and Joshua says, indeed, or uh, Achan says to Joshua, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel. And this is what I have done. He's about to confess what he's done, like he's been found out. God's given Joshua a little intel, told him what's happened, and look at what Achan says. Look at what happens. It says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. I've told you, what threatens most of our lives is not the enemy we can see, but the one beneath the surface. 
What you have here literally is a consent hidden beneath the surface of his tent. Uh, he says, listen, I, I, I went into Jericho and the spoils of war were there and I saw this beautiful Babylonian garment. Now, I don't know what a beautiful Babylonian garment would have looked like then, but it must have been the cat's meow. I mean, it must have been the latest and greatest of the designer clothing. I, I don't know for sure what this looks like. Every generation has had, you know, kind of the, the designer of their day. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but does, does anybody remember Jordash jeans? Remember how quickly they came and went, huh? Some of you go, I don't remember Jordash at all. Right, we're dating ourselves here. I'm just telling you, when I was in middle school, I mean, all the cool kids wore Jordash. Now, I was still wearing mostly tough skins at this age. All right? I wasn't one of the cool kids. But if you were the cool kids, you were wearing Jordash jeans. And if you're really, really cool, you wore Jordash with a little pony on the back pocket. You remember that, huh? Yeah? And, uh, you know, Jordash kind of fell out. And all of a sudden, you know, there was like Calvin Klein and then... You know, I, I look, turn around, all the kids are wearing Tommy. Everything says Tommy on the front, you know what I'm saying? Somebody told me this past week, Tommy Hilfiger's out now. So I don't really know what's in. This Babylonian garment was in, all right? It was, like we might say today, a Louis Vuitton. Ladies, did I say that right? Louis Vuitton purse and Gucci slippers, okay? It was just too much for Aiken. I mean, he sees it, gotta have it. He says, I coveted it. Uh, saw the silver, saw the gold. God said, don't touch it. And he says, I coveted it. Now, what does that mean? C to covet means you, you see something and you gotta have it at any cost. We might call it today materialism or greed or whatever it is, but Aiken suffered from what a lot of us suffer from. Uh, young, young, young people are calling it FOMO disease. You got the fear of missing out. All right? He feared missing out. Here's why I'm telling you, fear is beneath the surface in all of our lives that leads us to make the worst decisions. Listen, fear motivation always leads to a really bad decision. Coveting is simply a secondary emotion. Achan didn't believe that God would do what he said would he do. He feared that God wasn't true, that what God was saying he would not do. God told him, you can keep the spoils of other battles, but you're not to touch the spoils of this battle. I'm telling you today that when you fear God is insufficient, when you fear God is not enough, that fear will lead you to make really, really bad decisions. And this is what happened to Achan. He feared that God was not telling the truth. And when you lack the fear of God, you will find yourself fearing other things. You will fear every day in every way. I want you to see, it says these words in Genesis chapter three, the same thing that happened to Achan happened to Adam before him. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day. You remember God said, don't eat of that tree and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now I want you to see this pattern that's embedded on all of humanity from Genesis chapter three. Sin will always cause you to walk in fear and insecurity. They've eaten of that tree and God's come a calling this day in Genesis three. It says in the cool of the day and Adam, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. 
You see, that's the nature of sin in all of our lives. Sin will always cause you to live afraid. Sin will always cause you to be fearful instead of fearless. Sin will always cause you to hide yourself from God, hide yourself from others. Sin will always cause you then to play the blame game, and that's what happens in Genesis chapter three. And I want you to see that pattern is embedded on all of us for all of history, all of Adam's posterity. As it was with Adam, it was with Abraham because he feared God was insufficient, that God was not enough. It led to an act of rebellion, and that's what sin is. Sin is making more than a really bad decision. Sin is an act of rebellion because it's doing what God says don't do, most of the time something that God says I'm going to do. And you see, ultimately, what we see here is we study this idea of fear in the antithesis of faith. Guys, there is a good fear and there is a bad fear. Jeff mentioned the good fear. The good fear keeps you from walking off your roof. Uh, good fear is what keeps you from driving in the right lane. Uh, good fear is what keeps you alive. There's a good fear. God wants you to have that good fear. For all the Bible talks about bad fear. Good fear is what I used to experience, all right? So most of you know I'm a former SWAT cop, KCPD, many, many years ago. And I don't know how many search warrants as a member of KC SWAT I served. I was the Ram man. I told you that a few weeks ago. And I remember experiencing that tinge of fear, the good fear. Right before we would hit a drug house or right before we would serve a search warrant, right? There's this tinge of fear that comes over you. It's the good fear. The bad fear is what incapacitates you. Satan wants to use the bad fear to incapacitate you so that you don't live faithfully, you live fearfully. All right, but there's a good fear. The good fear actually makes you better. The, the kind of fear that I'd experience right as we would jump out of the van and run up the yard and bam, I'd hit that door. The good fear actually heightens your awareness. The good fear actually hones your senses. The good fear gives you a sharper edge. And that's what would happen with that tinge of fear, not knowing what was going to happen on the other side of that door. It would it uncertainty and don't know what's going to happen once we get in there. That little tinge of fear is what sharpens your senses. That's what God wants to do in times of your life when you have a situation over which you have no control. He wants you to sharpen your edge. All of a sudden, spiritually, you get sharper spiritually uh, your edge is much better but you see what Satan wants to use for evil God wants to use for good there's a bad fear and there's a good fear 300 times the scripture uses a phrase the fear of the Lord over 300 times you see this phrase in scripture the fear of God and I'm convinced that's the number one reason our nation is where our nation is we have lost the fear of God in this nation I'm convinced that's why the churches were the churches. We've lost the fear of God in church. And you see this over and over again in scripture, this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And uh, what happens? Achan rebelled against God because he didn't have the fear of God. See, Adam rebelled against God because he lacked the fear of God. And I want you to see the fear of the Lord is how you become fearless in life over and over again, 300 times. It uses this phrase, what does it mean? To live in the fear of God means living with the power of God and the wisdom of God through complete submission to God. See, the fear of the Lord isn't merely being scared of God, though you know, I had a healthy fear of my father growing up. What's that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Uh, it means my dad, who was a very kind, compassionate, gentle father, but I learned to take him seriously. You know why? 
because I had a healthy fear of my father. I knew the same hand of compassion, the same hand that could give me a hug is the same hand that if I didn't take him seriously could bring down the hand of judgment, if you know what I'm saying. There's the healthy fear of my father. I wasn't scared of him, but I learned to take him seriously. See, to live in the fear of the Lord means you're not scared of God because you know he loves you, yet you've learned to take him seriously. You've learned to walk before him in humility. You are completely submitted to his authority. Therefore, you are living obediently. That's the fear of the Lord. And I'm trying to tell you today, to the degree you fear God, you will fear no man. To the degree you fear God, you will fear nothing. And over and over again, this would be a great study for you to do on your own. Get out your concordance and you find every single time in scripture you see this phrase, fear of the Lord, and look at what it says about the fear of God in your life. Psalm 128 and verse one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in your, his ways. How many of us here would like to be blessed? Yes? I wanna be blessed. All right, this is what Jesus called the abundant life, the blessed life. This is yours by divine proclamation. This is God's promise, Psalm 128 and verse one, to you is true for me and you. You wanna live the abundant life, the blessed life. Yes, it's yours by divine proclamation, but just like ancient Israel, you still have to by faith take possession. And by faith, you take possession by putting your faith in action, which is obedience in motion. Here's the promise. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord that does what? Walks in his ways. That means I'm gonna live God's way, not my own way. I'm gonna do my marriage God's way, not the world's way. I'm gonna pay attention to what God says, no matter what anybody else says. And look at the promise, if we will, blessed, abundant. There's the promised land spiritually, a life that flows with milk and honey. Not that it's gonna be easy. Oh no, it's still gonna be very costly. Oh, look what else, uh, just three of over 300 I want you to see, Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Let me ask you, do you want the wisdom of heaven upon your life, the wisdom of God, wisdom to make decisions, yes? Listen, knowledge is not the same as wisdom. There's a lot of smart people in the world, but they're not wise. Uh, we're all smarter, do you know, than we've ever been before. Google has made us all smarter, you know that? But knowledge isn't the same as wisdom. You can be a person of higher education and still lack wisdom. You want wisdom? Takes the fear of the Lord. What's it mean? Humility in the selfie society. When you walk before him in humility, you start walking now the wisdom of God upon your life personally. Look at this promise, watch this. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. See, when you're pursuing God in a way that you are walking holy, now you can live boldly. You can live confidently in a world that's going crazy because you're walking in the fear of the Lord. You've given him all control of your life. And when you do, look at it, it says, and his children will have a place of refuge. See, when you're submitted to God's authority, you have his authority over your life. That authority is not meant to oppress you, but to protect you. Now you're under God's protection, you're under his provision. 
He's your protector, provider, your strong tower. Look at what it says. And the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. How is walking in the fear of the Lord a fountain of life? I'll tell you how. Because sin in your life beneath the surface will always take its toll on your life eventually, physically. Check this out, James 5.15 tells us there's a direct connection between sin and sickness. You know why? Because sin releases stress in your life. Sin that you've lived in year after year, year on end, eventually begins to take its toll because sin, do you realize this? It releases toxins in your body. Sin releases poison in your body. Consequently, you can't be healthy. Yet fear of the Lord, what's he say? It's the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord means going to bed with a clean conscience. And all of a sudden, it begins to affect every part of your life, emotionally, mentally, and yes, even physically. It's the sin beneath the surface that he wants us to lean into and peel back the layer, not just deal constantly with the symptom. No, your real issue is not the anger issues. No, what's going on beneath the surface is the real issue. And you see, the fear of God brings you to a place where you can live confidently, even in a world of uncertainty. You can begin living boldly because you know you're pursuing God in a way that is holy. You've living life in a way that you take God seriously. And all of a sudden, I will promise when you live with the fear of God, you will fear no man, you will fear no thing. And to the degree you fear God, you will have no fear in your life. But I'll promise, like Achan, like the nation of Israel, when you harbor sin, when you refuse to get beneath the surface, instead of living in the fear of God, you will live with fear in every day, in everything, in every way. What does God want you to do in times of fear? Surrender all control, the fear of the Lord. Surrender all rights. Quit trying to take control over which you have no control and give God all control. So I'm out there in the ocean. And I realize I'm in trouble. I don't know what's happened, but my foot is really, really hurting. I mean, it's really, really bad. I'm trying to get to the shore. I'm trying to swim to shore, long ways from shore. Always thought I was a pretty strong swimmer, but this day it feels like the wind and the waves are against you. You ever been in a situation where it feels like the wind and the wave is against you? And guess what? All of a sudden, I'm in deep water. Have you ever been in a situation you realize I'm in deep water? I was. I was in deep water. I couldn't find a place to stand. I couldn't find a place to put my foot down. So I decided I'm going to swim. And all of a sudden, the more I swam, the more I realized I'm in trouble. I'm in a lot of deep water. And the harder I'm swimming, the wind is against me. The waves are against me. And I'm swimming for everything I've got, trying to get to the shore. But the harder I work, it feels like nothing's happening. And you know what? I realized my, my heart is racing. I mean, I'm out there in the middle of the ocean and I realize I'm working myself to exhaustion. I could feel my heart beating. Guys, it must have been going 150 beats a minute. And the more I could feel my heart beating and my heart racing, the, the more I would work and try to swim and get to the shore. And I realized I'm working myself to exhaustion. And quite frankly, then it began to set in. I was in a life-threatening situation. I really was. I mean, you hear about other people drowning, you hear it all the time, and I realize, holy cow, this is how it happens. I could drown out here. 
because I'm a long ways from safety. I'm in water that's too deep to stand. I'm working myself to exhaustion. I don't know how much longer I can go on. And then, you know, my you know, brain started racing and a little panic begins to set in. Let me tell you what happens in those moments of fear. A little panic begins to set in and you want to take more control over which you realize you have no control and that panic begins to set in. And I started working harder, you know, trying to get to shore, kicking and, and clawing and just trying to survive, keep my head above water. I'm serious, this happened. I mean, this was a life-threatening situation and I'm living it all by myself. Nobody even knew it was happening. It all began with a threat beneath the surface. And I start going through my options in those milliseconds, how fast your brain can work. And I'm vaguely aware there's teenage boys out here somewhere I could call for help. And I went through the options of calling for help with 17, 18 year old boys came get me. And I realized even that moment where I'm fighting for my life, I still have a little bit of ego because I decided there is no way 18 year old teenage boy is gonna come save me. Cause I'll never live it down all the way back. Okay, forget it, I'd rather die with dignity. <laughs> Besides that, I thought, you know, even if they do make it over here, I'll just drown them anyway, we'll all die. Not an option, right? And, uh, and, 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 and panic begins to set in. I'm too far away from hell. There's no way I can make it to shore and I'm exhausted, I can't keep going. And fear in your life has a way of doing that too. You're exhausted in every way. You can't keep going. And panic begins to set in and you wanna take control even though you have no control. That's what was going on in my life at that moment. But then I remembered some advice I'd given my kids many years earlier. I said, guys, listen, if you're ever swimming and you get too tired to swim and you're too far away to get to the shore, don't panic. You just lean back and float. All you gotta do is float, but you can't panic. If you lay back on the water, you will float. And I literally thought to myself, don't panic. And I prayed. And you know what I had to do that day to survive? And it obviously worked or I wouldn't be here today, I'm serious. I had to quit fighting the ocean I had to surrender to the ocean. And that's what I did. Instead of working myself to exhaustion, I just surrendered. I laid back and surrendered to the ocean. No longer gonna fight the wind, no longer gonna fight the waves. By faith, I'm gonna practice what I preach and I'm gonna float and guess what I did? And I would float, and every once in a while I'd start to get a little panicky and want it, but, but I don't know, I'm just gonna lay here by faith. I know I can float, and guess what? I'd lay there, surrendered, I'd get the energy and I'd take a few strokes. I'd lay there a little longer, get the energy and I'd take a few more flow, strokes, and finally, I made it to safety. Do you understand what God wants to do in those fearful times of your life, when everything in you wants to take control, all he wants you to do is surrender complete control. Instead of fighting against it, just surrender to it. 
And I will promise you now that you've surrendered control over those things that give you fear because you have no control, you can live confidently. You know why? Because now you have that sense that God is in control. Confidence comes from knowing God is in control. So what is it in your life that you still need to surrender control? I guarantee whatever you hang on to and you harbor that part of your life just beneath the surface, that which you refuse to surrender to God, it will one day surrender you. Today is the day to get beneath the surface of your life and say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Let's bow together. Jesus, I pray for every person God, in this place today. I pray, Lord, that promise of Psalm 128 upon every person under the sound of my voice, whether here today or watching online, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way, God, help us to make conquest of that promised land, the blessed life. Putting our faith in action, walking in your ways, obedience in motion. What is it beneath the surface that no one else can see in your life that God can see? that little compromise with sin, that negative emotion, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. Today is the day to get beneath the surface. I pray, God, in heaven that we would choose the fountain of life, the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give God the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? <laughs> Guys, I love you a whole bunch. I'm so thankful for you. Now, uh, there's no reason to rush off because it's just going to be cold out there anyway. So feel free to hang out with us. There's a whole bunch of people here. We love you. We care about you. As others are going that way, some of you need to come this way. We're here to pray with you, minister to you. God bless you. God go with you. Have a really, really blessed Sunday.